All right, welcome in uh, Wednesday Bible study. Uh, thanks all of you for joining us. And and for those of you that uh, if you ever miss a week, I, I've, I've talked to some of the guys that are here today, a little disappointed that they were not listening to instructions. That thought for some reason that I was going to Italy for two weeks instead of one. Uh, I was only gone for one week, so we actually were here last Wednesday. Uh, if you missed part nine, I mean part eight of finishing strong, uh, there's a number of ways to get it. You can text me, and I'll try to find it. But uh, you can go to the Rick and Bubba podcast channel. It's there. You can go to BurgessMinistries.com, click on media. I've got it set up there for you. Or you can go to the Rick and Bubba YouTube channel. Just go to rickandbubba.com and click on that, and you'll see last week's. Uh, or if you miss any of them, you can always find them that way. Also, a couple of notes. Uh, we're getting close to finishing this book, uh, and when we finish this book, I'm going to talk about when we're going to start the next. We're going to do one more book, but I may do something with the few weeks we have before the next Man Church. If you go to Shades Mountain Baptist Church or you'd like to come to Man Church, Scott Dawson will be speaking April the 28th. will be the next Man Church. It's free. You don't need a ticket, anything like that. Bring whoever you want. It'll be uh, over at uh, the conference center uh, there at Shays Mountain Baptist Church, and it starts at 6 o'clock. After that, there'll be some, some guys who may join us for the first time if they plug in, or we'll plug in again to the next round. But if you want to start gathering the next book, and I may go ahead and start it even before Man Church. I haven't decided that yet. Uh, we're going to do another Jerry Bridges book. We did Fruit of the Spirit. This next one we're going to do this, The Pursuit of Holiness. Jerry Bridges' Pursuit of Holiness. So that'll be the next full-blown study that we'll do. So go ahead and go to Amazon.com or wherever you want to and grab that book and kind of start looking over that because we're almost done uh, with Finishing Strong, and hopefully we'll finish strong. strong. Uh, so uh, so that's, that's going on, and I'm opening us in a word of prayer, and we'll jump right into Finishing Strong Part 9 today. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for these men who are here in the room uh, be with those who are normally with us but um, are taking care of their responsibilities today as a, as a husband, as a father, or some of them, those that have work conflicts and cannot be there with us, with us today. Be with them, Lord. I pray for those that are listening and or watching uh, anywhere around the world right now, just maybe investigating for the first time that you'll speak to their heart today uh, as we open up your word on this very important topic. And I pray, Lord, that you... Uh, to be with us as we move forward through each and every step. Don't let us be distracted. Be sure, Lord, that we hear everything that you intend for us to hear in our spirit today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so, and, and I am right on that, right? We, we haven't done Pursuit of Holiness. We've done, I know we've done Fruit of the Spirit. It's been four years now, so it's getting hard to remember everything we've been through. If, if one of y'all have the notes from Pursuit of Holiness and you can remind me that we did that like year one and I forgot, please let me know. But, um, but I don't think we have. I know we did Fruit of the Spirit, but we haven't done his book on, on holiness, which we, we want to do after this. So I think it'll tie in nicely. All right, so if you have the, the, the Steve Farrar book, you know that we're now in chapter 9. And only Steve would title this chapter, 156 Buck Naked Miles to Bighorn. Uh, and, um, you know, interesting quote. I love the quotes he puts at, the, at every chapter. James Crook said, a man who wants to lead the orchestra must turn his back on the crowd. That's good. Uh, any man who wants to lead the orchestra must be willing to turn his back on the crowd. So we're going to use a couple of guys today to look at examples. One of them is John Coulter. The other is Joseph uh, from, from the Word of God and the story of Joseph. Don't, don't turn me off. I know if you're listening to this, those of you in the room, I think you'll stay engaged uh, because um, if nothing else, I, I'm looking at you. But, but a lot of times for those of you that may be down the road on your faith, you may be through the sanctification process, and don't ever get to the point that you ever think, 
when somebody brings up something in the Bible that you already know it. That's a huge mistake. Uh, I, I have to admit I've struggled with that myself sometimes thinking I'm kind of tired today. Uh, the pastor's bringing up a topic that I go, oh, I, I, I could get up and teach this. I, I know where we're going. There's nothing about this I don't already know. And before you know it, there's a fresh word or three uh, in the message, and you realize you're hearing something that you've never really heard about before because God's Word is alive and it's breathing and it's powerful, and we've never heard it all. So uh, so when I bring up the story of how about this? Let's give it up for Bill Searcy. We're joining us back here today. Bill Searcy. Take that, pancreatic cancer. Uh, so thanks to, uh, thanks to all your prayers, and as you can see, the prayers have... Have not returned void. You're looking at a walking, talking miracle right there. Uh, so, Bill, thank you for how you've handled this with such dignity and, uh, and leaning on the power of Christ. And I know that there's still a journey ahead, but, hey, we're right where we, we're ahead of where we thought we'd be right now. So, amen. We got our foot on pancreatic cancer's throat, Satan being destroyed uh, by another example of God's incredible grace and mercy. So I'm glad you're back here with us live today, buddy. Um, all right, so, so when we talk about Joseph, so don't turn me off when we talk about Joseph because there's some things that, that when I was studying this over the weekend, uh, obviously I had never thought of before that appealed to me and, and spoke to me and convicted me in the story. So first of all, John Coulter. I didn't, I didn't know about the Lewis and Clark expedition, that John was part of that. Uh, John was one of those kind, and you, can you imagine the kind of guy this is? Lewis and Clark has gone through all this hardship. You know, they've, had, they've had some people that have died. They said, we finally did it. We're going home, and Coulter says, hey, i got to keep going. I'm not going home. I want to keep on going. You ever had that guy? I had a roommate like that in college who, who I wish when I said we were done, I wish he would have said, that sounds good. But, but he was, I remember one time, no, all kidding aside, uh, nothing to do with anything that was, that was sinful or anything like that, but he was an adventurous guy too. And I remember I nearly died, and I nearly drowned, uh, and down toward Elba, if you're in that part of Alabama, in the Pea River, uh, because he wanted to go canoeing, and I was like, man, I don't want to go canoeing, and we got in the canoe, and of course, we went to go get our canoe, and the guy said, I don't have enough life jackets for everybody, y'all got to go to my other location, to what we said, what? Nah. And uh, so, so we, uh, we, we, we well, that'd be another stop, you know, and so we, we get into these canoes, and, uh, and the canoe turns over, uh, and we get back in it, but we lost our paddles, uh, so then when you're in a canoe with no paddles, when you hit rapids again, you, you, know, you just kind of go whatever way the water turns you, and it knocked us over this time inside the rapids, and I was sucked under the water and could not get out and did not have a life jacket. Uh, all I had was a Def Leppard T-shirt, and that wasn't going to help me. And, um, and so when I finally, which this will preach, when I finally stopped struggling against the water and just said, this is how, I guess this is how I die, uh, I shot out of the rapids uh, up on the other side. You know, I got on one of those deals where it goes under itself, and it shot me out, and I laid on top of that canoe. And I remember that canoe being upside down, and my roommate, who, who, who always wanted to push the limits, was looking at me. He goes, I think we're okay. And I said, we're, up, we're on the upside-down canoe rolling down a creek and a river. And I, he said, I think we're okay. And I said, what if we hit more rapids? And he looked, and he said, that won't be good. So... Uh, so eventually, we, were, we had to be rescued by a motorized boat. As a matter of fact, we hung on to the side, and the motorized boat um, came to get us, um, and we were rescued. So anyway, John Coulter was like my roommate in college. There was just not enough adventure, and he wanted more and more and more. So long story short, he ends up you know, being captured, and he's dealing with some Black Hawk Indians. Uh, they wanted to have a little fun with John. He fooled them. 
uh, by saying, telling that he was very slow. They stripped him naked, uh, and he took off. Uh, they let him get a head start, but he didn't tell them he was actually very, very fast and very athletic. So he gets out ahead of the Indians, and uh, they, 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 he runs butt naked, no shoes, no anything. And this is kind of the, the takeaway, but he could see a tree line. And he knew if he could make that tree line, that he then was savvy enough that he could hide and find a way to get away. As long as they didn't catch him out in the open plain, if he could just get to the tree line, he knew he had a shot. And then it goes through what he, what he did and how he got down to only one, one Black Hawk that was still chasing him. Uh, they, they were both exhausted. He turned on the Black Hawk um, and, and kind of fooled him by charging him instead of running from him, ended up killing the Black Hawk. And then that was all he needed to get to the wood line. And when he got to the wood line, as the others were way behind, they caught up. He hid underneath like a beaver dam and, and, and survived. So, but he had nothing. He was, he was completely naked, and nobody could believe the journey he went on when he walked into the nearest place where there was food and water, completely naked, bleeding, but he made it. And so he takes John, and he, and he kind of ties him into everything that Joseph went through, um, on, on talking about the Christian life. And he says, here's the thing about the Christian life that you look at, first of all, with John Coulter, then we'll get to Joseph, and I'll write these down. The Christian life, there are no breaks. You can't call time out on the Christian life. You remember me talking about last week how I'm a very impatient man, but I've had to learn from God that God doesn't have fast passes. You know, because if he had a fast pass, I'd get one. And he, he doesn't have fast passes. And another thing, so in the Christian life, there is no moment in the Christian life where somebody says, I tell you what we need right now, we just got to call time out. And I, we just got to stop. Okay, I just got, now, certainly we have breaks in life. We have times to gather ourselves, but that's allowed by God. But we, we can't demand when we want to break. So it's, it's always going on. It is a long journey. We talked about that from the very beginning of the study. We are not in a sprint. Uh, we are on a distance run. And, and if you think about it, uh, we're also, the last thing, we're, we, we strip down. You know, there's a lot of things you do where you put things on and put things on. But if you really want to run a race and run it, you know, with, with, without being encumbered by something, you want to strip down to, to, so you can run the fastest you can. You know, if you look, when somebody gets ready, you know, he used the analogy of a football player versus a runner. A football player is putting on all kinds of stuff because he's going to have to go to hand-to-hand -hand combat and go to war. He said, but a runner's doing the opposite. A runner's taking things off. You're trying to get down to the least amount of clothing you can get. Now, sometimes our, our, our sisters... Uh, don't help us with this. You know, if, if you ever hear that some woman is going to run, don't ever run with a woman unless she's your wife. Because what they're going to do is they're going to wear the least amount of clothing or the tightest clothing they can to run. You don't want to be around that. So, so, but running involves getting down to the least amount of, of stuff so you don't have the weight of it all. So then he gets into the discussion of, of Joseph's life. And, and if you have your Bible or something with your Bible on it, we, we see the analogy of this in Genesis 37. And, um, and, and when you look at, at Genesis 37, you start to see the, the entire life of, of Joseph in, in kind of a, a nutshell. And, and in the book, it's on page 195, uh, where we start talking about this. And then we roll over and, and we're done with what happened with John Coulter. And we start talking about the things that happened with, with Joseph. So in Genesis 37, all the way to chapter 50... Uh, we're, we're staying with Joseph the whole way. And, and, and it says that one of the things that you look at, he was the son of Jacob. Jacob, as we know, and I'm going to give you the nutshell of, of Joseph's life, in case you don't know, and a reminder for the rest of us. Uh, there were 12 sons, but J Joseph was clearly 
Jacob's favorite. He was. And, uh, and, and Jacob really made no bones about that. Now, to show his love for Joseph, what do we know about it? Remember this, the incredible multicolored coat, not the best decision from Jacob. Um, but anyway, he, uh, he gave that to Joseph, and that made his brothers angry because they knew that he was their father's favorite. And then just when they weren't angry enough, uh, Joseph told him about the dream that he'd had, the dream in which everyone in his family, including the brothers who already don't like him, that they're going to bow down in his presence. Uh, they did not uh, like this because keep in mind, Joseph was second to the end. So everybody he told that to is his older brother except one. He's only got one younger brother. So you're, you're, telling, you're telling a lot of older brothers that they're going to bow down to you one day. Again, they didn't take that very well. And they had no intention of ever bowing down to their brother Joseph. So um, we know that Jacob sent Joseph to check on his brothers as they were overseeing the, the sheep. Uh, and we know that when, um, when he went there, what happened? Tragedy. He, he compared it to John Coulter. This was Joseph's moment when he ran into the war party of Blackfeet, but it was not a, a tribe of, of anyone that he didn't know. These were his own brothers. But he's about to experience the same thing. Uh, so they saw him coming from a distance. They decided that this was their chance to kill him. Reuben steps in, the oldest of all the brothers, and said, well, it, we probably don't want to kill him. Uh, why don't we do this? We'll throw him in a pit, and then we'll come back. And, and, and his plan was, remember, one thing about Reuben that you can't say about Reuben, if you don't know the story, Reuben's plan was to just get these brothers off of him. Let's don't kill him. Now, he should have made a bigger stand and say, he's going home with us, and this is not going to happen. But what he really tried to do was put him in the pit. Then he thought, Let's, we'll go home and I'll come back and get him. But that plan didn't work out because then there's the opportunity for Joseph to be sold into slavery. So they, they, they sold their own brother to slavery, as we know, for some, some cash. And they like this because not only did they get some money, what? They've gotten rid of the brother they didn't like. And they appeased Reuben because they didn't kill him. Uh, so Joseph goes into slavery in Egypt. Uh, and, of course, they went back to Jacob and took uh, Joseph's uh, coat, as we know, dipped it in animal blood and told Jacob that Joseph had been killed by a wild animal. And, uh, and, that's, uh, and, and that's what he believed. And, of course, it crushed their father. Uh, so he, now you got Joseph the slave, and then he, 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 he's a slave for a while. Then he says, hey, here's something that looks good. I'm going to work for Potiphar, who's a high-ranking Egyptian official, and we'll get into that today. Didn't take long for Potiphar to be impressed with Joseph. Again, look how he's behaving in these tough times. And so he gave him oversight over his whole household. That means he's running Potiphar's house. Potiphar's an incredible, uh, uh, incredibly powerful man. We know that he was, he was a young guy. The Bible tells us that Joseph was attractive. Uh, we, we knew that. He was athletic. And Potiphar's wife uh, laid her eyes upon him. She was the original cougar. Uh, and, uh, and so she, uh, she was part of the ruling class, and they, they were known, Farrar says, that these women of the ruling class of Egypt were known to, to go after men, to go after young men, to do really whatever they wanted. Uh, and so she pursued Joseph. Uh, we know that he held her off, uh, but uh, when, that, that did not go well because she was you know, embarrassed by what happened, got frustrated. Uh, then she goes to tell her husband that Joseph came after her when we all know that wasn't true. So he goes into prison uh, through a more miraculous series of events, which you could get into the details. We don't have time for all that today. He gets to be the number two guy at, at, at the prison. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, he gets important guy at the prison. He, we'll talk about that more about him 
with, uh, with interpreting some dreams. He finally finds his way out of prison, but there was a delay there too. Don't miss that. He ends up the number two man in all of Egypt, answering only to Pharaoh himself. And of course, when famine ravaged uh, uh, that part of the world, and, um, and, and Jacob, of course, and his sons needed food, we find that Joseph, uh, through all this stuff God planned out, ended up in a position not only to help the people of Egypt, but to help his own, not only his own people, but even his own brothers. And uh, this, this is really cool. So John Locke has a comment about the nutshell I just gave you of Joseph's life. And this is it, talking about power. He said, the question, the great question which in all ages has disturbed mankind and brought on them the greatest part of those mischiefs, mischiefs that have ruined cities, depopulated countries, and disordered the peace of the world has been this. Not whether there be power in the world, but who should have it. That's always been the problem. We've always known that power is available. And then all these problems and all these destructions. I mean, I just got back from Rome. Um, this, was, this was the problem. I mean, there was always power available, and everybody were, was willing to kill each other to get it. And, uh, you know, even if you're Caesar, uh, before you know it, come the Ides of March when you think everybody you can trust around you and they kill you. So this is the problem of the world. So God decided that Joseph should be given that power, and, and, and he gave it to him in a moment. So, so we see this, and we know that Joseph does end up with power. So this is something you have to think about. Think of all the things I just laid out in a nutshell, and we'll get a little more detail. The, everything that Joseph went through, everything that, uh, that John Coulter went through, and the question Steve says, so does anybody in this room or anybody listening, do you really think, based on this, that the circumstances in which you may find yourself right now, no matter how good or bad they would be, in this case we'd lean to the bad, do you really think that you're trapped in these circumstances? Do you just think this is it? Do you think it's over? Well, the, God has been showing us through Joseph and, and so many uh, different documentations of the Bible that we should think again anytime we think that. As, as, as long as God is overseeing your life, you're never trapped in any circumstance. Joseph had God, and that was enough. Everyone else can let you down, and everybody else can, can disappoint you, but, but not God. So, first of all, we, we, we've got to have the right mindset. If you watch Joseph, and we'll get in, in more detail about some of the specifics, but if you look at Joseph's life, there was almost this incredible calm over him the whole time because it's almost like he understood my, my, my brothers are flawed. Uh, these Egyptians are flawed. The guys I'm in prison with are certainly flawed, but God's not. It, it's like the, the whole time, and we'll get into one of the things you never saw from Joseph, which amazed me, but the whole time there's a calmness because Joseph knows that everybody may let him down, but God will not. And as long as he has God, and as long as God is overseeing his life, whatever circumstance he finds himself in, that's good with him. Now, does that mean that it's wonderful and enjoyable and it's being celebrated? No, it just means there's a supernatural calm over the person who truly lives their life under the authority of Almighty God. Because you know what you have to... We, we say this at our house all the time, and I, and I hope you'll learn this, because it really always brings peace. Whatever the situation, whatever comes into that house, whatever comes on that phone, whatever happens at work, 
Whatever I'm hearing, we always say this, and you can say it without reservation, this did not catch God by surprise. Do you think God doesn't know what's happening with Joseph? Do you, do you, think, do you think somebody ran and says, you're not going to believe what Joseph's brothers did? And then did God go, well, I hope Reuben will go back and get him. No, all of this is under the authority of God. The question is, if God's doing it, then we got to find out why. And, and I will tell you this, I know that we love this thing. Sometimes we don't know why. It aggravates me a little bit because I'm certainly, if you want to use that statement to say we don't know every intricate detail of the beginning and the end, that, yeah, you're right. But I don't like when people of faith, when they're going through tough things, say sometimes we don't know why, almost in a lazy way, as if they haven't taken the time to go find what God has said about this. And God has not been silent about suffering. God has not been silent about pain. He has not been silent about who he is in these situations. You know, that was one of the things that Sherry did for five years. Is she, and when she wrote the book, she said, Look, I, I, I understand that I'm under the authority of God. God doesn't have to tell me anything, but I'm going to pursue his word, and I'll pursue him with everything I've got and everything he's willing to reveal to me, I want it. And that's the reason why that book took five years, not five weeks, not five months. Five years of, but these truths, if you, if you read her book, and if you haven't, you should. We did a Bible study on it here in the early days of, of this Bible study you will find that that book is not about Bronner. It's not. It's got his picture on the front, and, 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 and that's wonderful, and we love our son. It's not about Bronner. It is not about Sherry. It is not about me. It's not about our family. It's about God. It's all about God. The number of scriptures that are dripping on the pages of that book are in the hundreds. You know why? Because he's not silent. He's not silent on it. And as Sherry said, if you want to know where God is in these difficult circumstances, he's right in the middle of it. And Joseph seemed to know this by the way he, he handled one situation after another. So let's look at, at John Coulter and Joseph. And then, and then, of course, Joseph is also an example for us of, of the Jesus to come. Uh, Coulter was stripped of his clothes, but not his courage. Coulter was stripped of his weapons, but not of his will. Coulter was stripped of his provisions, but not of his purpose. Coulter was stripped of his comforts, but not of his composure. That's why John says that John Coulter reminds me of Joseph, and of course Joseph reminds us all of Jesus. Joseph was stripped of his coat, but not his character. Joseph was stripped of his family, but not his future. Joseph was stripped of his position, but not his purity. Joseph was stripped of his accomplishments, but not of his attitude. No wonder Joseph finished strong. Think about that. We, we always look at he lost his coat, he lost his family, he lost his position, he lost his accomplishments. And what Farrar says, no, what God wants you to do is look what Joseph didn't lose, his character, his future, his purity, his attitude. He didn't lose any of that. Why? Because of God. Jesus, as we know, finished strong. And and I and I can sense this just as uh, just as uh, Ferrar said we all did reading this. I've noticed, and I've been this. I've been guilty of this too. When we talk about Jesus and what Jesus did, people so quickly, Rick included, say, "Well, he's God." 
Yeah, but we know that the Bible tells us that God lowered himself to take on what? Human flesh and to be exposed to everything and more than we would ever be exposed to, to walk through it, loving us enough that he would take on flesh and say, for a moment of time, I'm going to be, I'll always be 100% God, but I'm also going to be 100% man. And so you say, yeah, well, Jesus finished strong because he's perfect. And, and, and you know what? There's truth in that, but stay with me now. Jesus is our hope. He is our answer. And so we don't need to be God to finish strong. We just need to depend on God. Somebody say that back to me. We don't, we don't, we're not going to be God. You know, don't, don't y'all say this. The more I learn about God, one of the things I learn is I'm not him. But so we don't need to be God because we have God. We, we have God in his fullness through the power of Jesus Christ who gives us access to God completely. So if you say, I can't be perfect, well, good, Jesus can and was. And then Jesus says, now you have access to me. That's the reason why we get to this incredible, incredible verse in the writer of Hebrews. I mean, if this doesn't fire you up, I don't know what's going to fire you up. And, 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 and listen to this. Therefore, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses, this is Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance. We want anything that, that is causing us, so we want to strip ourselves of anything. And then, and then the writer of Hebrews gets specific. What do, I, what do you mean by encumbrance? I'll tell you what I mean. I mean sin. So let's lay aside the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And here's the key. You ready? Fixing our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has now sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. So who's our tree line? Jesus. John Coulter said, if I just get to the tree line, I got a shot. It looks really bad right now. So his goal is not, I got to defeat all these Blackhawks, because he wasn't going to do that. He had no weapons. But he said, but if I can get out far enough, I might can defeat one, which then enables me to get to what? My only hope, and that's the tree line. So every one of us are stripped down, we're bleeding, we're bloody, we got nothing, but you know what we see? But my hope is found in the tree line, my hope is found in Jesus. So if I want to finish strong, first of all, I've got to say that this sin that encumbers me, I've got to strip away that and what? Put on Jesus. I got to get to Jesus. You remember the visual? I know some of you do, who, who, who we have deep friendships because I've talked about it. When I got the visual from God about literally taking Jesus and wrapping my arms around his waist and just burying my head into his bosom, and I just cling to him every day. You know why? Because if I let him go and I, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I go over here and start looking around without him, I get myself in trouble. I'm, I'm so terrified of sin destroying my life again that I'm going to cling to Jesus, my tree line, and I'm going to hang on to him because as long as I'm hanging on to him, I'm going to find my victory in him. I don't have any victory without him, so you know what? I don't let him go. Don't let him go. 
Don't, don't let him go. You can't live a true life that's going to finish strong, a true life in victory, if you're going to go, go be under the authority of Christ every now and then. What do you say? Only those who abide in me produce fruit. Well, if you're abiding in Jesus, then there's never a time you're not with him. He goes everywhere. I mean, guys, I can literally tell you, I have these situations in my life right now where, you know, I'm turning into an empty nester. You know what that is? I'm starting to get more and more free time. Well, well I've got, I don't have anything to do. And, and, and I love it. But, you know, but here's the problem. When I don't have anything to do, that, that can be problematic. Now I'm getting kind of, now I'm going to find something to do. And, and, and so what I've noticed is, though, here, here's, what, here's where I have seen victory, only in Jesus. All right, I'm going to, I tell you tonight, I'm just going to, I'm going to just click around the TV. Just, I'm peddling. <laughs> and I'll see something, and I'll go, it happened just the other day. But here's a show that I think I heard is pretty good. Uh, but I had a brother tell me, it's, it's, boy, it's nasty. It's got some nasty stuff in it. Hmm. But I think I found it on cable, so they probably edited most of that out. And then you know why I didn't watch it? Not because I have great self-control. Not because I'm devoted to, to you, or I'm devoted to my wife, or I'm devoted to my children. Those are all wonderful things, but you can always find a day that you won't be that way. You know why I didn't watch it? I could not justify Jesus watching it. So if Jesus is going to sit here with me, this is probably not the choice. There's going to be enough in here that, 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 that my standard is so low, but his isn't. So you don't watch it. And hey, ooh, that's a big sacrifice. Man, did I really? What a martyr for the faith. I didn't watch some show on cable. You know what I mean? But if you, but if, it's, if you, if you have that attitude about the little things, you, then you don't even remotely consider the big things. Because you know what some people say? That ain't no big deal. Well, well yeah, it is. Because it's, it's the little deal that turns into the big deal. Because once you've compromised one thing, you compromise the next thing, then you compromise, right? What is Steve Farrar just for doing his book? Just do the next right thing. And, you know, and so really, and you know what? If I'm going to go down to the, to the farm and I'm going to piddle, you know, I talk about that. That's one of my favorite things. You know, people say, well, you have, you have this land so you, you can hunt, you can fish, you can, you can farm. Yeah, I mean, all that's fine. But you know what I really like about it? I want to piddle. What are you doing today? I'm piddling. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over here and I'm going to look at the guns and see if they need to be cleaned and I'm cleaning them and, the camo from deer season, probably need to wash that, and I'm going to put that over here, and, and I'm going to ease out and look at some cameras and see if there's some pictures on it. And, you know, you going to fish? Mm, maybe. I'm not going to schedule it, but if, I, but if all of a sudden, yeah, well, I think, I, oh, well, i got a little fish. Bring that in. You know what I mean? This is doing pretty good. What do you, you want to do? What are you going to eat? I'm going to share ask me. She goes, well, what are you going to eat? I don't know. Is there anything better than that answer? I have no idea. <laughs> but, but so I guess I'll go eat where I want to when I want to. You know, so, so I may find something in the cupboard down there I like. Oh, forgot about this. You know, or, you know, I may go over to a little restaurant and eat by myself. And, and, and it was a great day. But you know why it was not a day of stumbles? Why my mind didn't wonder? It's because I got into this and sat there in, in that little house and got into this. I went up on a hill and I prayed. And what I realized is that God's with me today. I didn't leave him back at the house. He's not with Sherry and then not with me. He's certainly with her, but he's also with me. And so God's presence is in my life because I'm going to get to the tree line, but I'm not going to leave the tree line. I'm going to stay there. 
I mean, look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Fix our eyes on Jesus. I love that hymn. I mean, let's fix our eyes on Jesus. So Joseph, back to Joseph, was completely dependent on God. Now, this is important. Write these down because this is where we get into problems, when we depend on anything else. So this is the question Steve poses to us, and I'll pose to you as my brothers and then my sisters who may be watching or listening to this. What do you depend on? Honestly. What, what do you depend on? Uh, who are you depending on? Yourself? Ever been guilty of that one? Get your hand up if you depend on yourself. Well, hey, that goes good. But, uh, hey, I'll tell you one thing about myself. I'm not worth depending on. I'm not very dependable. You know, I like to say that I'm a pretty, hey, you can count on me, but not like you can count on God. You know, you can count on me mostly, mostly, but not like you can count on God. You know, and, and the other thing, I love this one. And, and we've certainly, I've certainly been guilty of this, and he's moving me away from this so much. Well, are we dependent on, the, on our political leaders? Oh, if we could just have the right election. If we could just, if we could just vote the right person in. Man, that, that, that man. And then we find out these people are terribly flawed. You know, and, and, then, and then the way, one, one of the great things about living in a constitutional republic is that's the last thing you need to depend on. Because we don't have kings. We don't have tyrants. So even if you've got somebody you really like, there's only so much they can do. Because there's so many give and takes. So you can't, you can't go into the political world and say, certainly we should be involved. And we, man, we were in a constitutional republic. You know, I, I would hate to go up there and be with, the, with the, uh, the, the 12, if you count Paul, the original 11 plus 12, and go up there and they go, so y'all had a shot to have a say on how you were going to be governed and you didn't participate? You know, I, I, they didn't make it. I mean, they, they dealt what they dealt with. And I'm not, that's not where, I'm not depending on that. Nothing wrong with being involved in it. And if you can use that, these freedoms that we've been afforded to advance the kingdom of God, surely, certainly. But I'm telling you, and I, is, is if, we're, if you're depending on a political party as the answer to your questions or a politician, look, just me and you together, and, I'm, and you know how ups, concerned I get when some of y'all get upset with me. Uh, you're an idiot <laughs> if that's where you're placing your hope. I mean, that's, let me just say that I'll say it kinder. That's foolish. It's foolish. Is it important? Yes. Is it of the most importance? No, it's really not. Because I got news for you. God is who we serve, and God is... Look at Romans 13. You, so many politicians go to that. It's almost like God is saying through Paul, this is a necessary evil. It's a fallen creation. i got to find some way to put some people in charge to keep order. So you need to fear the, the, politic, the government that I've set up because they punish people who don't know how to act. It's a necessary evil. And, and, and so it's certainly part of being a fallen creation, and we do what we can with it. And I respect those who go and serve there if they feel called to do it. But they'll, if they're truly followers of Christ, they'll be the first to tell you this is not where the answer is. This isn't it. Because there's certain things we can't do politically that only the church can do. Only the church can do it. And so we need to be dependent on God. And if God's, in, God's just going to decide whether the United States of America makes it or not, we can make all the greatest political moves that you have ever known. Rome made some great political moves. But if you turn your back on God and you blaspheme God, all the right political moves in the world ain't going to mean anything because he's going to have his say. And what we need to be is a nation of people who fear God end of subject. And if we don't, it don't matter what tax structure we come up with. It doesn't matter you know, what we come up with. If we are not under the authority of God, we got no shot. And so our, we can't be dependent on that. 
we got to be dependent on God. You know the beautiful thing about that? If something doesn't go your way that you can't control, you still got God. James Boren says this, it's hard to look up to a leader who keeps his ear to the ground. I love that. You know what I would add to that, to James Boren? It's hard to look up to a leader that licks his finger and puts it up and see which way the wind's blowing. And if you don't think politicians do that, see which way the wind's blowing. How many times have you seen a politician do something you're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. That, that's, that, you know what they found out? Look, look at this, perfect example, perfect example. And this is one y'all won't get mad about because I'll talk about Democrats. You know, if I, if I told you how I feel about some of the Republicans, some of y'all get mad at me. And again, you know how much that bothers me. But anyway, so, so the Democrats, we got people out there saying what? If we don't change our carbon emissions, the world's going to end. And they, they run on that, and they get people fired up about that. So we have this, this, this young lady that's now serving, and she says, well, I believe all this, so we got to do drastic things. we got to stop flying. we gotta, we got to rebuild all the buildings. we got to do all this stuff. And I've even got a legislation that I'm taking to the Senate. And now, keep in mind, she wasn't the only one that said all this was important, that this needs to be done. You know how many people in the Senate voted for it? Zero. Even, even her own party didn't vote for it. You know why? It wasn't politically. She went too far. They knew that politically, if they side with her, even though they told her they were with her, if politically they sided with her, it would hurt them in upcoming elections. Well, I could only come to the conclusion that you don't really believe the world's going to end then because you, you wouldn't let any political advantage stand in the way of you saving the world. So it could be y'all really don't believe the stuff you're shoveling us because you had a chance to go on record saying you believed it and you didn't. I told y'all before, when we had the climate uh, summit in Denmark and Copenhagen and it wasn't a conference call, then y'all don't really believe what you say. Because if, if these carbon emissions are going, to, are going to destroy us all, we're going to be dead in 12 years, we're going to do that on conference call. We're not traveling to Copenhagen and putting out carbon emissions. So how do you, want, how do you know what somebody really believes? What they do. But see, they say that about our faith, too. When we say that we're totally dependent on God, then we live like we're just like everybody else. They don't believe that either. So you see, every day God comes before us, and, 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 and the world watches to see if we vote for him or not. And when we do, they say, well, they must really believe that. And when we don't, they're saying, he's just got his finger in there and see which way the wind blows. What's expedient versus what is a, versus what is a conviction? Joseph had his ear, his, his, Joseph's ear was not to the ground. Um, I, I love this when we're talking about 1 Corinthians. Things, this is 1 Corinthians 2, 9. Things which the eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of a man all that God has prepared for those who love him. So he, know, he knows everything that's going to happen. So Joseph's ear was not to the ground. His eyes were toward heaven because he loved God with all his heart. When we get ready for the, uh, you know, when we get ready to run a race, again, we're stripping down. We are not suiting up. And, and there's two parts of this. There are things that God strips from us, meaning you don't have choice. God in his sovereignty, God in his authority, he's going to strip them from us one way or the other. I saw that uh, through the earthly death of, of, of my son. And that's not the only struggle I've ever had that, that God maintained, but that man mandated, but that's the one that you're most familiar with. And so what, you know, what he did then? He stripped things away from me that I wasn't going to give up. So he did it for me. Uh, the other things, then there's the things, what, that we strip from ourselves. Another way to put it, there, there, are, there are things that God takes away, and there's things we must put away. Does that make sense? There's things God's going to strip away no matter what. 
But then there's the things that he's looking to you and me to see, are you willing to put that away? Are you willing to take action? And, and, and how, did, uh, how did Joseph finish strong? He laid aside every encumbrance and sin that easily entangles us, and then he, he ran the race with endurance. He, he ran the race, what, with his eyes fixed on God. If we're going to finish strong, there's things we're going to have to put away. Two critical things that Joseph put away. Write this down. Joseph put away the thought of trading his purity for his position. Joseph, he put away his position in return for his purity. So he would not trade his purity for position. Keep in mind, when he gets, when he gets the, 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 um, the rendezvous suggestion from Potiphar's wife, uh, Farrar names her the predator, uh, and, and the other thing was Joseph put away the thought of turning his betrayal into bitterness, the fact he'd been betrayed by his brother. So let's take the first one, his, his purity for position. He would not do that. If you look at the story on page, two, uh, page 201 of, our, um, of, of the book, but in uh, Genesis 39, it's verse 7 through 20. And, and let, so you know he's at Potiphar's house. He's, got in, he's in charge of the house. And here's what the Bible says. It came a, about after these events that the master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to the master's wife, Behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he's put all things he owns under my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you, because you're his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? See, I thought he was going to say Potiphar. So really, he's talking bigger than Potiphar. He's saying, I've been placed here for a reason, and I've been given authority, and I've been given power. And the only thing that my earthly master, Potiphar, has withheld from me is you. And you know what else he's saying? And the only thing God is saying that I can't have is you. So he says, I'm not going to commit this evil sin. He never says Potiphar. That's understood. Because Potiphar might be flawed, right? I might say that I don't like Egyptians. I don't like the way they've treated my people. I, they, 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 they have taken me slave. They've made me a slave. They've mistreated me. And I have suckered my way in and fooled them and to get this authority. And they've given me all this authority. And Potiphar's wife wants to sleep with me. And how about this? I'm going to do it because Potiphar, he deserves it. I don't like Potiphar. He's an Egyptian. He's an enemy of my people. Right? See, that sounds like something that you could see somebody justifying and doing, couldn't you? But he didn't say that. He said, why? See, he might have done it if it was just that. But he says it's bigger than that. He says, I, how then could I do this great evil and sin against God? See, he can justify sinning against Potiphar, but he can't justify sinning against God. And he knows it. So what he's saying is, I will not. Because you think, you think Potiphar's wife wouldn't have just went back to her husband and said, hey, Anything, Joseph, you, 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 you need to give him more responsibility because she's going, she has, she'll have her little something on the side then. And so what she'd have done is says, you, you lay with me and I'll look after you. That's how the world works, doesn't it? Everybody's cutting deals. But he said that's not how God works. And it came about as she spoke to Joseph day after day, and he did not listen or lie beside her to be with her. Now it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the household were inside. She called him by his garment. Now she's grabbing him, saying, hey, sleep with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. So his outside jacket's gone. 
When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of the house so and said to them, See, he's brought in a Hebrew to, to make sport of us. He came in to try to lie with me, and I screamed. And it came about when he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. So she left his garment beside her until her master came home, Potiphar. Then, he, then she spoke to him with these words, The Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came in to me to make sport of me, and it happened as I raised my voice and screamed that he left his garment beside me. Now, is that what happened? No. And what's everybody thinking? Well, okay, this is how it works. Then I'm, I'm true to God that he'll make sure I don't get in trouble for this. No. Pot Potiphar comes in, and, and, and when, when he heard what his wife had to say, uh, this is what the slave did to me. His anger burned, and so Joseph's master took him and put him in jail to place him where the king's prisoners were confined. <coughs> so now <coughs> Joseph has done the right thing, right? Did everybody disagree with that? He do the right thing, and he gets put in jail for it. So God didn't swoop in. You ever, you ever watch? This sounds like a, a, a TV show or something you watch. You ever watch A Misunderstanding? It drives me crazy in movies or TV shows. That's not what happened. You ever scream? You ever scream at the TV? Do you need to tell her that's not what happened? Somebody tell him. <clears throat> well, that's what happened, and so now he finds himself in jail. But here's the thing: he would not compromise his purity because he said the great evil against God. See, Satan made a run at Joseph because he found him worthy of the run. But see, Satan didn't know the future. Joseph was worthy of the attack. And, and, and Steve Farrar, I want you all to think about this a minute, too, as men. Just, just be men for a minute. Any man post-puberty. It's one thing to say, I'm not going to chase a woman. It's another to say, I'm also not going to give in to a woman who chases me. Now, how many of you think that Potiphar, with all his power, was married to an ugly woman? <laughs> not likely. Not likely. This was a powerful attractive woman who knew her way probably around the bedroom and she's telling this young guy, I'm yours. I want to do this. You haven't had to flirt with me. You haven't had to pursue me. You haven't had to manipulate me. I'm telling you, if you want to lay with me, I'm in. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And, and, and so this is a woman that was on, on the attack. Is, is that you? See, be careful that you never live your life when it comes to sexual purity saying, I won't pursue anybody else. You better go ahead and say, and I won't let anybody else pursue me. I, men are, are arrogant. Men are prideful. And men like for a woman to flirt with them, especially if you get a little older. You think, you, think, you, think, you, you start looking at the mirror and you start getting a little less satisfied with what you see, and all of a sudden some woman gives you some attention, and you like it. you got to get to the point that you don't like it, that you are so engrossed in God's holiness and your commitment to God and my commitment to God that we're not intrigued by that, we're repulsed by that, and we won't even let it even remotely start. And, you know, he, he talked about example of, of his friend because here's the problem that a lot of men find is a lot of men start out emotionally connecting with a woman, and every time a person, and I've been in this situation, and Frank, his friend, Steve's friend in the book, Frank, was an exception, but doing men's ministry, and if you've ever been in a position of leadership dealing with men when it comes to spiritual matters or just being a friend, let me go ahead and let you on something that you probably already know. 
If a man admits to you that he's emotionally involved with a woman, he's already sleeping with her. Because a man won't tell you straight up he's sleeping with another woman. He'll tell you, first of all, hey, I'm starting to have feelings for her, or we're kind of emotionally connecting. But, and what they want to do then, men of the church will do it this way, they want to tell you that they're so spiritual that they're coming to you because even though I haven't physically done anything yet, it's wrong to be emotionally attached to a woman other than my wife. And most of the time, they've already slept with her. They just haven't got the point where they're going to tell you that yet. I mean, that's nine out of ten times in my experience. If a man ever gets to the point that he's telling you he's got problems in his marriage involving another woman, most of the time he's already slept with her, or he's planning to. They say emotional because they're not quite ready to tell you that yet. And, and you'll find yourself saying, well, now, you know, and then before you know it, go ahead and ask the question. If you're, if you're ever with, holding somebody accountable, just ask them. The minute they say it to you, say, are you sleeping with this woman? Then you have to come back and go, are you doing anything sexual with this woman? Because they'll play games with that, too. We can thank Bill Clinton for that. But what, but what, I, what I'm saying is, so you, 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 ha, you, have to, you have to be very clear and ask direct questions because men like the attention of another woman if they don't stand on the authority of God. And that woman can be used by Satan to coax you out from under the authority of Jesus. And it's nothing but your just arrogant pride is all it is. I mean, most of us have a woman devoted to us who loves us, and, and that ought to be enough. I can't imagine that any woman would ever want to be devoted to me. And probably there wouldn't be one if she didn't love Jesus, you know? And, and, and so we can't allow ourselves. And if you're willing, if, you, if, if, if it means this much to you, like his friend Frank, he was getting emotionally involved with a woman, and, and nothing physically had happened yet, but this man went home first and told his wife that he felt emotionally attracted to this woman that he worked with and he wanted her to pray with him. By the way, if I let my wife know that, the, everything changes at that point. You know, but this wife was praying with him. But what did he finally come to the conclusion of? He could not work at that place. He couldn't. So he left. And, and so that's the thing. It's one thing to say I wouldn't do anything, but are you and I willing with our devotion to God to give up power or promotion to save our spiritual integrity, to save our, our purity and our integrity? Are we willing to, to give up even power and promotion to be right with God? And to be right with Him is to be right with our wives. Secondly, Joseph put away the thought of turning his betrayal into bitterness. Did anybody have a free pass to be bitter more than Joseph? I mean, he's eating the bitter sandwich. But he never allows himself to be pulled into bitterness, which I found remarkable. Absolutely remarkable. And uh, Chuck Swindoll talks about this. He said, no one who does a serious study of Joseph's life would deny that he was a great man, and yet he never accomplished any of the things we normally associate with biblical greatness. This is good. He never slew a giant. He never wrote a line of scripture or made any vast prophetic predictions like Daniel. Come to think of it, Joseph never even performed a single miracle. He was your typical boy next door who grew up in a very troubled family. So what makes Joseph great? Why does God devote more space in Genesis to his story than any other individual? Because Joseph's attitude, how he responded to difficult circumstances, that was the most remarkable thing about him. 
how he responded to difficulty is the most incredible thing about Joseph. He says, I love this, uh, author uh, Albert Herbert once wrote, the final proof of greatness lies in being able to endure, to endure terrible treatment without resentment. Joseph spent a good deal of his life enduring harsh, hateful treatment and his attitude during those years often offered disputable truth, indisputable proof of his greatness. Because you know what? That's, that's abnormal. That's supernatural. That Joseph never became bitter. He never became bitter. I love this. In the cell when he was put there, he'd been betrayed by his brothers, by Potiphar, by Potiphar's wife. And it's sometimes some of us would say wrongly, looks like he's being betrayed by God. He's doing the right thing. But in his cell, think about how many times he had to, he had to stew about what was happening. Uh, and how about this? He, he had he had, he'd been given power, and every time he, he got out of a bad situation, just think about the guy that he said, go be sure and tell them about me. And the guy gets up and forgets about it, and he stays down there again. He almost gets out again about interpreting the dreams. You would expect the guy he gave the bad news to not to remember him, but the guy he gave the good news to didn't remember him. And then finally, oh, my gosh, I forgot about Joseph. He didn't even get bitter about that. Now, I'd have been bitter about that. But think about this. Now, this is big right here, boy. This is something. This is, this is that old Burgess flesh that's got to be destroyed. Every time that Joseph was given power by God, not once did he seek revenge. Not once. Wow. Wow, 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 wow. No wonder. So much is devoted to him in the book of Genesis. And you say, though, you say what? But, Rick, I've been betrayed by my wife. I've been betrayed by my friend. I've been betrayed by you so-called Christians. Uh, a business partner that told me he was a member of the faith, and he turned around and, 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 and wronged me. How about this? I've been betrayed by the person who led me to Christ. Hey, I've been in those, I've been in those counseling sessions. I have. I've had people that... Satan had them believing that their salvation was fake because the man who led them to Christ turned out to be a fake. He turned out to be not living what he claimed. And they couldn't, I mean, it affected them. They're like, well, if this guy's really like this, did I really? And see, it's not about the man, it's about who he was pointing you to. But in a moment, that betrayal shook them. And it made them doubt everything about what had taken place. Abraham Lincoln, with a good one, he said, nearly all men can stand adversity. I thought that was kind of cool that he just laid that down. Look, men can handle adversity. Most of us in here have and can. He said, but if you really want to see a man's character, give him power and see how he handles that. If we focused, write this down, if we focused on what some person did to us, we will never finish strong. Bitterness. If you can't get past what somebody did to you, you'll never finish strong. Satan will always use it against us. And for some of us, it's time for us to move on from this because here's the thing. We're only going to finish strong if we focus on Jesus. Focusing on people and the damage they've done is the wrong perspective. God is in charge of your life, not people. 
People are imperfect. People will let you down. People will, people will betray you. But that has no reflection on who God is. That has a reflection on what sin looks like. Any betrayal or hardship that's entered our life, think about this. If we truly understand God's sovereignty, it was allowed. Think about that. I remember, was it Farrar that told us this when he came to speak to us? Don't ever live in fear of a person that took their, 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 the next breath they took was allowed by God. Why are you going to be afraid of them? If God wants to kill them, he'll kill them in the next breath. So don't ever be worried and concerned to be dominated by a person who's allowed to take his next breath by the God you serve. God is who we answer to. And anything in our darkest moment of betrayal, and God allows this to happen, why? Because in the darkest moments of betrayal, we build spiritual muscle. And you know what this is too? He's breaking down our dependence on human beings. That shouldn't be where our dependence is anyway. And we're building spiritual muscle. Focus on Jesus, just like John Coulter was focusing on that tree line. He knows what betrayal feels like. He lived it. So pour it all out to him. Flush it out, then forget it. Grow up. Move on. Stop playing the victim. What did Adrian Rogers teach us? Just go tell Jesus on him and be done with it. Be done with it. Flush it out. It's just being used to stop you. You're not where you should be spiritually. You're not where you should be impacting the kingdom because you're allowing this to be a stumbling block for you. We're done with it. Hey, stop being a victim. I know we live in a victim society. Followers of Christ don't walk around being a victim. We have nothing to complain about considering what we've been delivered from. Joseph had the right to play victim, and he never did. What did he say when those brothers finally stood before him? What y'all intended for evil, God intended for good. So Joseph's not even confused about why this all happened. He's not confused. I, I found that when the pain and suffering that I've been through in my life, I have seen clearly what God did with it. And, and, what, and what, what the, you know, this is the thing you got. A lot of times what the adversary intends for evil, God says, he only has as much chain as I'll give him. That's, you know, I, I've gotten that with the brothers before that don't like to talk about that. Well, Satan's the one who does things. Sure, certainly. Just like a pit bull would, would attack you if I had him on a chain, but I, I got to give him enough chain for him to get you. So did the pit bull attack you? Do I allow the pit bull to attack you? If I got him on a chain and he's barking at you right here and I'm the one in charge, certainly the pit bull is the problem, but I got to give him enough chain to get you. So if he gets you because I gave him enough chain, who was in charge of that? See, so, so, what, so what, what is intended, I mean, everybody is under the authority of God at the end of the day. And here's what bitterness will do to us. Bitterness grieves the spirit of God. It poisons our soul. And it shows, it, 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 it slows the race, and it lets the enemy gain on you. I love that. All right. Let me, gosh, I need to get this in because this meant a lot to me because of my respect for Oswald Chambers. Did y'all know that Oswald Chambers was accused of sexual impropriety with a woman? Yes. See, I didn't know that. And, and he didn't do it. And there was a woman in the church that, that destroyed him and went after him and tried to destroy his life. 
And see, there was a time when people said, Oswald Chambers is done. He's done. He's wrongly accused. He's trying to defend himself. His wife is defending him. It didn't happen what the woman claimed happened. It didn't happen. But was that the end of Oswald Chambers in those circumstances? That's what they said. That's what they thought. Well, I read Oswald Chambers this morning. Oswald Chambers wrote my utmost for his highest, and I with zero reservation say when you get into the category of daily devotions, it is the finest daily devotion I have ever consumed. That young man had a relationship with God that was real and it was powerful, and the legacy of Oswald Chambers continues today, but there was a day that everybody said he was done. but he never became bitter about it. He certainly struggled with it. They said it was a miserable time for him. But God still used him and has impacted all of us. If you've never read My Utmost First Highest, you, you are missing out on some spiritual food. And it ain't nothing but a page a day, but, but you, you, you'll be halfway through the year and you'll be convinced you're lost. And it's amazing how he, how he wrote this so long ago, how I'll read something in My Utmost First Highest and on that particular day, it's saying something that I'm dealing with. I don't know how. You know what, Rick? Oswald Chambers didn't do that. God did. That's how. All Oswald Chambers did was saying, I'm here. Tell me what to say. Tell me what to write. Inspire me. But he also was not exempt from a wrongful accusation and something he could have got bitter about and could have said, I'm out of the race. So eventually, you've got to flush it out. You've got to move on because it slows you down. And what? It allows the enemy to catch up. Ooh, I thought that was, that was wonderful. Let me close with Ephesians uh, 4, Ephesians 4, uh, 30 and 32, and then, um, and then we'll wrap it up. Uh, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Think about that. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God and Christ has forgiven you. Don't grieve the Spirit of God with bitterness. Don't let it poison your soul, and don't let it slow you down so that the enemy can catch you. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for this example we see in Joseph. Thank you, Lord, for even us being able to use the example of John Coulter, Oswald Chambers. Thank you, Lord, for these, these, these men who are just men just like us who have been radically changed by the power that is you. I pray, Lord, that today as we think in our mind, never compromising our purity for power or prestige, we think about today, never let bitterness enter our lives and never forgetting that ultimately if we want to finish strong, we can't focus on people, even what people have done to us. we got to stay focused on you. And may we find ourselves inching ever closely under your authority, wrapping our arms around you figuratively and bearing our head into the bosom of the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and saying, Lord, I find my solace only in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys. Rick and Bob.